all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Happy Christmas. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us Insta, Twitter for now, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things. Yes. Maybe even tw- maybe even the Twitter. The Twitter. Um, yes. Ha- happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Merry whatever. Um, and... You almost knocked over your beer. Oh, well, I did, but I didn't. Here, I'll put it right there. There we go. Oh, my goodness. Um, or just happy December, happy winter, happy winter solstice, whatever. Yeah, that's only a couple days away. Or happy birthday. Yes. Two more. In two days. Well, as of the recording, but this episode is coming, coming out, coming on, out birthday. on my birthday. So yes. if you're listening to this the day it comes out, Tis my wish 38th my, birthday. Wish my lovely wife a happy birthday. <clears throat> oh, thank you. On the discussion group. Ah. And also, if you want to do things on the discussion group, because mm-hmm. we're terrible at plugging social oh, media. Oh, yeah, we are. Uh, put down, uh, if or you Twitter, want to. Twitter, too. Twitter's another way yeah, to do Or it. both, or mm-hmm. all of them, mm-hmm. on all the social medias. Mm-hmm. Uh, what your favorite episodes of 2022 were. Or favorite moments. That, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Favorite quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that quote page was was pretty funny. Yes, yeah, ABC get, out of context. Yeah, yeah, that needs to get going again. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, what are we drinking? We have treaties. We have uh, brand new beers that neither of us have ever had. Yes, I uh, went to a local pop up artisan mart today in Raleigh. Uh, this is the seventeenth, December seventeenth. I'm record- we're recording this and twenty twenty two. Yes, <laughs> yes, and. I realized that Burial has a tap room just down the street. And I was like, let me get us some fancy beers for recording. So I have the, this kind of looks like the Rush album cover. Look at the A little bit, yeah, it does. Um, That that might be what they're going for. Wait, where is it? Where's the name of this? Is it in the... uh... Oh, it might be on the, no, I don't see the... Well, maybe it's it's an unknown. Huh. I don't, I don't, it's an uh, an unknown, it had a name, I just didn't, oh, okay. it's not on here. Anyway, it's a serenade, oh, serenade of chaos, that's there what it's called. There you go. Imperial brown ale with brown sugar, cocoa nibs, peanut butter, cinnamon, and vanilla bean. And I am having, uh, <clears throat> one of us will have to bury the other. <laughs> this is a uh, aged Mexican style lager, and it's special, now with pineapple. Mm. So I'm oh, here. looking forward. Yes, indeed. Shall cheer- cheers. Let me just koozie it. Yes, <laughs> into your Bill's koozie. Mm-hmm. Very good. Ooh, yeah. Very good. This is like a. Can I try? Oh yeah, this is like a dessert. Let's see. Essentially, it's an eight percent or two. <laughs> Ooh, uh oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Oh wow. Yeah, that's very. Right? Uh, yeah, that's good. That's very stout. Oh yes. That's a. Uh, that's a. Uh, you have like. One, two of those max. Oh, uh, I'm just yeah. having the one. The one, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, special Christmas treats for us uh, whilst recording. 
Whilst. Whilst recording. Which somebody on Twitter today said that that's not a real word, word but whatever. I don't know. They use it in England all the time. <laughs> I don't know if it is or if it isn't. It's a UK it's, thing, right? It's a fun word to say. It's a British English thing. Whilst. Whilst. Speaking of fun. Mm-hmm. The Buffalo Bills. <laughs> two nights on a Saturday night in the matinee, or matinee, the primetime game. Mm-hmm. The matinee game is going on as we speak. Right. Um, Who's playing the matinee game? Uh, it is the Colts and somebody else. The Vikings. Oh, okay. <laughs> and as of now, the Colts are up 23 to nothing. Oh, wow. So, I thought the Vikings were for real. Well, that's what we thought, didn't we? Are the Colts for real? No. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> any given yeah. Sunday, yeah. any given Saturday. Eh? Yeah, the Colts have tied the Texans this year, and the Texans are, like, historically bad this oh, year. Oh, yeah. But anyway. But... I remember on an episode, I don't remember which episode in particular, mm-hmm. but but you asked me after they lost to Minnesota mm-hmm. by fumbling away the game at yes. the end, mm-hmm. how I felt about the 6-3 and three Bills. I said the solution is very simple. Mm-hmm. What was my solution? I know. Do you think I was paying any attention? I was hoping you might be. <laughs> my solution was, my solution was stop turning the ball over mm. because in that, Three games, uh, yes, three game stretch since they had come off the bye week, they'd turned the ball over eight times in mm. three games and lost two of them directly due to those turnovers. And it's like, stop turning the ball over. They are currently on a four game winning streak. All wins were within one score. And guess how many times they turned the ball over combined in those four games? Three. Two. two. I was close. Yeah. So I will uh, take my signed Josh Allen jersey from. Uh, <laughs> From any Buffalo Bills fan or uh, person in management might be listening. You should be. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure we have a yeah. lot of uh, higher-ups in the NFL listening we are, to us. We are a disaster <clears throat> podcast. <laughs> you know, Buffalo is... The Buffalo Bills are historically a disaster, so... Maybe that should be our New Year's Eve fun topic. Yeah. Just what, oh. what it all started with. We thought this was going to be a Buffalo Bills podcast. That would be a good one. <laughs> um... Do you remember when you mocked me about Burl Ives? I do. Everyone knows who Burl Ives is. I just have, for the I've record. I never heard I never heard the name. From our dear friend Eric. <laughs> Rachel, I believe the song you were thinking of is called A Holly Jolly Christmas. Yeah, I don't like Christmas. Written music. by Burl Ives, yeah. which is from the nineteen sixty four Christmas classic Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. I really wouldn't know that. Well, neither did I. Like, I'm, I'm sure I've heard it. Well, neither I have I. heard it, but... Well, you've heard, uh, have a holly, oh, yeah, jolly Christmas. Couldn't have told yeah. you who it was written by. What well, now you sounds, can. Yeah. Who's it written by? Some guy named Burl Ives, apparently. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I'm still trying to figure out what Burl comes from. <laughs> it's just a name. I have no idea. Uh, no. Like Wolf Blitzer, but that is his actual name. <laughs> well, but, maybe we Burl Ives is his, really, yeah. is his real name. He also provided the voice for Sam the Snowman. I, I think from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I've never actually seen that, the, the little stop motion. I know I have, like, when I was a little kid. I yeah. don't really think I've seen it since then, yeah. but I, I do remember seeing it. And sang the title song. Oh, okay, so he sang Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay. Mr. Ives was a musician, singer, actor of both stage and screen, and author whose career spanned six decades. Among his other roles were Geppetto in Pinocchio, hmm. Samuel the Sheriff in East of Eden with James Dean, Big oh, Daddy, wow. okay. yeah, Big Daddy Pollard in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman. I've never seen it, but I know of that yes. movie. Well, and I know of both of those movies. Right. I've never seen either. And the Spiral Road with Rock Hudson. So he that's quite worked a, with 
it's quite an A-list. of stars, yeah. yes, indeed. So, Mr. I don't know who Bro Lies is. <laughs> well, I didn't. I had no idea he did all those things. But you made it sound like it was obscure that I knew him, but he was big. Well, maybe this is the biggest Bro Lives fan in the world. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I don't like, think Eric did, is specifically did, did any, like, I'm did, the biggest Bro Lives. Do you think any random listener knew all those things? <clears throat> of course not. This isn't... No, I'm, I'm saying. I, I my guess is maybe Eric looks some things up, but he's like, no, 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 I know, I know, bro, lives. Yeah, let me just refresh my if memory I, or something. If I don't know it, it doesn't exist. That's that's how this. That's how, how children think. That's you how this, do realize that. That's how this version of the Matrix works. Children and serial killers. <laughs> yes, we. I mean, we elected a child president, so. Well, that's fair. <laughs> All right, and now we have a lovely, lovely oh, email nice. that I want. I want I, to. Read. I thought that last one was lovely. Oh, the career of bro, bro lives. <laughs> I mean, really, like, I didn't realize he was... Okay, well, there you go. It's like when somebody had to explain um, probably one of my favorite war movies, and it's pretty gruesome, so Mm -hmm. I've only watched it occasionally. Platoon is, like, one of my favorite war movies. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in it um, where Kevin, he had the famous younger brother. (laughs) But then he was an entourage. Kevin... um, Nealon? No. Nolan? God, I can't think of his name now. Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon. Well, Matt Dillon. You know who Matt Dillon is, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was Matt Dillon in... Um, in Platoon? No, in Entourage. No, it was Kevin Dillon. Yeah, the, his brother. He played Johnny Drama? He did, okay. yeah. Like, he... Literally, he played a fictional version of, of his... Himself. Of his real life. Yeah. <laughs> he has a famous brother. Mm-hmm. more, Way more famous mm-hmm. brother. But anyway, he has a line in that movie that says, he says, I'm a regular Audie Murphy. Oh, yeah. The and cowboy like, star. I didn't know who he was until like a year ago. But he's like a decorated, like seriously, like decorated World War II veteran. Oh, I didn't who know he was on... a veteran. Oh, I knew yeah. he was a film star. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. became a film star mm-hmm. afterwards. And it's like, that's quite a fucking life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It is. To go from hell to glamour. Which <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Hollywood in the 1950s, let's face it, that was like the, like the Gilded Age, basically. <laughs> All right, can I move on to the... No. <laughs> now we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills again. I'm no. sorry. So um, this is a an email, one of the kindest emails we've ever gotten, for a birthday shout out to our dear friend, Aces California. Oh, very nice. So this is an email from Aces partner who asked to go by one of the nicknames Aces has given to them, either Mr. Burb. Or sigh. <laughs> I like Mr. Burb. Mr. Burb. So Mr. Burb says, <clears throat> This year I thought it would be a nice idea to give a surprise birthday shout out to my wonderful partner and one of your most regular scriptwriters, Aces California. Their birthday is on December 21st, just two days oh, after mine and just yeah. two days after this episode comes out. About four weeks before mine. <clears throat> Three weeks. Yep. Yeah, four. Four. Mm-hmm. So I hope I've sent this email early enough for a shout-out to be recorded for an episode close to that date. Indeed you did, Mr. Burb. The past 12 months have given Aces some of their hardest ever struggles, both physically and mentally. But thanks to both of you, they have also achieved some brilliant success. Writing scripts that are selected to be read on a podcast listened to by thousands is definitely not easy. And every time they have accomplished it, I have been in awe of the effort and commitment they put into their very thorough research and their clear, whilst entertaining (laughs) writing. I'm not a podcast kind of guy, but I always make sure to listen to yours whenever Ace's script is selected. 
I particularly enjoyed listening to Rachel's laughing fit, <laughs> triggered by David's head-on straight joke in the Burt Troutman episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the football player who played with a broken who, who neck. Who literally, mm-hmm. his head almost fell off. <laughs> Being featured on your podcast so often has been a big help in improving their self-worth and confidence, which they can, which they can sometimes struggle with. It is also a fantastic outlet for ACEs to express their passion and creativity for the topics you discuss. So I need to give you both a huge thank you for giving ACEs that excitement and encouragement through some very challenging times. There are still a lot of goals to reach, but I'm going to continue supporting the partner who's given me so many laughs and moments to remember. Oh, that's very sweet. Isn't that so kind? Yeah, that's absolutely. so sweet. Yeah. So sweet. And well-deserved aces yes. because every word is absolutely true. Have so much fun with all of your scripts every time. Every, absolutely. I, the... Like, the biggest gift we get year-round is amazing scripts. Yes. The amount of work it saved us. Yes. And the amount of, of the fun fact, it is for us to I was going to say, on top of the them. fact that they're fun stories, usually. Well, fun, our sense of fun. Well, it's 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 nice to be able to, like, be surprised by a story. Sure. You know, because we're reading it blind, and it's, um, maybe that was an insensitive way to put it. We're reading it without pre-reading it. So. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's it's fun to get to do that, and <clears throat> there's not been a single script that anyone has ever let us down. No, not and at all. Of course not. Because everyone's hmm? puts work into it yes. and does a great job, and that's pretty. That's clear, and I am just so happy to hear if if we can help if anything we do helps anyone feel better or anything like that's just about the best thing we could ask for. Absolutely. You know, so that's awesome. That's awesome. And happy birthday, Aces. Yes. Happy birthday. Just a, just a couple of days away from mine. Although I'm ancient. So my guess is you don't get a, you don't get a launch date for your birthday, unfortunately. A launch date? It's coming out. Like yours, this episode is coming out. Oh, 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 I gotcha. (laughs) Well, in, uh, let's see, in two years? Oh, no, we may, we may actually have to, it may skip over. Oh, no, no, we're going backwards. Never mind. I was trying to figure out the calendar. Let's not do, uh, yeah, let's not do the Gregorian calendar right now. No, we won't. We won't. We have gone into that before. (laughs) Yes, we have. Mm -hmm. Actually, a couple times, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So. Let's not do it now. You ready for our miracle sode, our Christmas miracle sode? Let's do it. All right. This is the story of British Airways Flight 38. Oh, man. <clears throat> On January 17th, oh. just one day after somebody else's birthday, 2008, hmm. British Airways Flight 38 crashed upon landing at London Heathrow Airport. Amazingly, no one was killed, and only one passenger sustained serious injuries. Wow. So sources are the Department for Air Transportation Air Accidents Investigation Branch, Infinitum, My Aviation Book, Wikipedia, and very importantly, our listener, John. So let me introduce us to this. This script is going to be a bit different than usual. We have a firsthand account of this particular oh my disaster. God. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Courtesy of our listener John, who is gracious enough to offer his I ac- didn't understand that. <laughs> Why do both of I our don't know. my watch does it and your phone does it? It's ridiculous. Very much apologize, John. <laughs> <laughs> stupid phone. Okay. Um so yes, so John gave us a full blown his account of the events. 
uh, and was fully okay. Yeah, the, yeah this is there on board. New territory. Yes, yes, it's it, it, it's amazing. So, um, it is not often <laughs> that we get a firsthand account no. of a disaster. Um, let alone something that happened to one of our listeners. Yeah. You know, a survivor of a disaster. Um, so just a huge thank you to John, because this is amazing. For making it through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, thankfully. Yes, absolutely. Um, I also, because uh, John reached out with this account, like, back in April or so. And, like, I immediately was like, this is our Christmas episode. <laughs> this is the wow. perfect Christmas miracle sode, right? Um, so this episode, I'm going to frame a little differently. I'm basically going to use John's account. We're going to follow John through okay, this. Sure. Um, so he, he basically wrote this episode. All Everything that's his account that I say John this or that, it's John's. So, so consider it that he basically wrote the bulk of this script. Um, and he also shared the link to the accident report, which was very helpful. Wow, okay. If In case you didn't notice, I didn't have many sources. Mm-mm. And it's because John filled in a lot of the blanks for me, which was very helpful. So. Absolutely. Uh, so our lovely listener, John, is yet another one of the smart people <laughs> who listen to us. <laughs> um, you know, PhDs, scientists, professors, yeah, the, the <laughs> literature usual. experts. Yeah, that's, um, that's how we roll. Yes. <laughs> Plus all the wonderful normies. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what we are. Because <laughs> that's what we are, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we weren't expecting to have, uh, like, I don't know. Near, near genius people, level people. Well, people with a <laughs> slight, uh, you know, slight more importance in society than, than I have. That's for damn more sure. More standing, let's say. Yeah. In academia. I was going to say, that, that could, be a, lo- that could be a lot of people, what I just described. I, I like millions. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> but but one of the things I like is how something as terrible as disasters brings together people of all types, you know? Um, we all have something to offer. And every single one of our listeners we that we've had the joy to interact with, nothing but 100% lovely. Like, just Absolutely. the best. We have the best listeners, period. So back to our smart friend, John. John is a native Scotsman and okay. a professional model builder. But, as he says, it has, quote, nothing to do with wood, (laughs) end quote. So not physical, like, building models. He builds statistical and mathematical models. Oh, I see. Sure. Yep. So, yeah, smarty McSmart person, (laughs) for sure. Um, Because I have no idea what goes into that or what that even kind of means. I didn't didn't get to that kind of math. Mm Mm-mm. Very, mm-hmm. very far from it. <laughs> I know debits and credits, but we really only have to, no. su- even depreciation, we only have to multiply or divide. Yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't doing statistical analysis mm-hmm. with the uh, equations. I think technically I did like algebra two and geometry, but I mostly cheated my way through that. Oh, okay. Well, good. What was the highest level of math you did? Geometry. Yeah. Yeah, because that's all we had to take in New York State was two years. And I was like, after these two years, I'm done. Just done, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Um, so John served in the military, then he went to university, and then he entered this profession. Um, and that gave him the opportunity to work around the world. So he's a sure. global traveler. Wow. Um, and in 2007... His employer sent him to Beijing, China, to perform work for a global bank whose headquarters were in Beijing. But he did still maintain his residence in London. He was just traveling for work. So um, by mid-January 
2008, John had been working in Beijing for two weeks. I imagine after, you know, the holiday break, went back, worked a couple weeks. So he had a couple of weeks of leave due to him. Uh, so he, Plus, London is one of those cities you can get to anywhere in the world from mm-hmm. London, especially to Beijing. Very much so. Um, so he he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go home. Let me fly home to London. So he had his, his flight booked, and the night before his flight, he didn't sleep great, but he wasn't worried about it. He had a whole routine down, you know, being used to this flight, let alone, you know, global travel. Um, he slept well on planes, or he sleeps well on planes, which kudos on you, John, because I wish I could do I'd love to. So, so he just kind of just went ahead and worked late, got a few hours of sleep before getting up the next morning, knowing he was going to get to sleep on the plane, plus all the time changes and everything, so... So on the morning of Thursday, January 17th, 2008, John was getting ready for British Airways Flight 38, flying direct from Beijing to London Heathrow Airport. And John planned ahead. He had booked a cab because apparently, and this doesn't surprise me because Beijing is a world city, the traffic in Beijing is notoriously awful. Mm -hmm. So according to John, quote, Cab drivers have, in my experience of Beijing, a long-standing desire to drive in racing events, all believing themselves to have the spirit of Michael Schumacher or Ayrton, Ayrton Senna. Okay. And I'm sure that if I'd tracked my pulse and blood pressure, it would have resulted in mine being measurably ele- elevated. <laughs> Do you know what league those guys raced in? Uh, Formula One? Yep. Ah, I got yeah, it. Yeah. I got it. Senna. There's a pretty there good a, documentary on that was, Senna that I've seen. Wasn't it just called Senna? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen the like the cover. I've heard that. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so that was that was John's morning getting ready for this, and I'm going to shift over to the the actual flight. So flight 38 was a Boeing 777-236ER. So of course by now we've talked plenty of plane crashes and plenty about plane models. But the ER part of the 777 or 777 stands for extended range. This is a long haul plane. 777s are huge. um, And this is meant to be able to go on very long flights. So it could carry 658,000 pounds or 398 tons of fuel. Wow. Which could make it capable of flying 7,065 nautical miles, which is 13,084 kilometers, which is 8,130 miles. It's quite a trip. Yep, it can it could fly that So far. it could go from here to Iraq, because I think Iraq is 8,000 miles away. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. On one mm-hmm. stop. Well, clearly it could go from Beijing to London. Yep, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I can, I'm trying to figure out in my mind how far apart those cities are, but I can't. I don't know. Well, I don't if you know picture that part the, of all of Asia well. separates them, basically. Yeah. I don't know where in China I don't know exact, Beijing is. I don't either. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And China's like <clears throat> a big country in itself. That's true. That's yeah. very true. Um, now, the 777 in general is a big flight workhorse, you know, cap- and it, it has the capability to accommodate what they call 10 abreast seating. Now, I'm going to explain this. Ten people across? Yeah. Is that, okay. Because I've never been on a plane That's this big. That's a big fucking plane. I've only been on three and three or two and two mm-hmm. configurations. But I've only like a handful of times been on a plane where there was a middle aisle. I oh, You mean a middle seating? Yep. I mm-hmm. never have. I think, I've, I think I have been like maybe two or three times and like that's it. So this could accommodate a three, four, three configuration, which I've only seen in movies. 
Like, I've never. Been I remember on the one first time I went to San Diego. Mm-hmm. The plane we took out there was mm-hmm. had a middle aisle because mm-hmm. I remember being like, "Holy shit, this plane's!" Because I was used to at that time. Yeah. I still live in South Carolina. I was used to taking at that time. I was still taking propeller planes yes. <laughs> from fucking Greenville to go back to Messina. Mm-hmm. Occasionally a jet if I right. was if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting on this thing, and I was like, "This plane is fucking gigantic." Yeah. Like I bet it just cuts through the air which right. is which yeah. is essentially what it does uh-huh. you don't feel shit when you're on those plans yeah yep so uh i know that's silly that i discussed that because probably plenty of our listeners are like yeah that's what and like a long-haul plane is like i've never been on a long-haul plane so the farthest i've ever gone is to Portland's like the West Coast, basically. We flew directly from here to Vegas. Which we was, did. Which that's was probably nice. the, the that's the, that's longest. No, I once flew from Portland to New York City. That's so that's flight. clear across yeah. the country, yeah. and then from New York to Miami. So yeah, both times we've flown to San. Well, the first time I flew to San Diego, that my stop was in Pittsburgh, so that wasn't one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't fly direct to San Diego on our honeymoon, did we? We went to D.C. first. Oh, okay. Which, that's a, that's a pretty long uh, Yeah, flight. that's still... D.C. to San Diego. Yeah, yeah, that is. You're right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this particular 777-236ER uh, had a seating capacity of 233 passengers, but on this flight wasn't full. They only had 136 passengers and a 16-person crew. And also, I just wanted to mention this because I find it kind of hilarious the the registration number or letters in this case of this plane was G-YMMM or Jim <laughs> so because to make this all a little more lighthearted, since no one died I am going to refer to this uh, flight this, this as Jim <laughs> more than once I accidentally typed Jim when referring to John in this script before correcting myself so so after his, you know, kind of harrowing ordeal in the, in the cab, John made it to the airport, got in line to check in. Things went very efficiently. He said the Beijing airport is apparently very known for its efficiency and operations. Sure yeah. He hung out in the British Airways lounge. He just opened his laptop, got right back to work. And the last time he had taken time off from work... He had gotten pretty constant calls from his coworkers in China, who apparently seemed to generally disregard the fact that there was an eight-hour time difference between Beijing and London. Um, And those were the early smartphone days, so John was, like, locked and loaded with his trusty BlackBerry at the time. Nice. Uh, So there was definitely... Yeah, there was definitely no getting away from his colleagues, you know. And because this was such a long flight... There was one captain and two co-pilots on board, and this... Oh, are we looking at Beijing? So, this is Beijing oh, right yeah, here. Oh, yeah, that's close to Korea, basically. And just look where the UK is. It's, <clears throat> that's a long... That's, all the way across Asia and Europe, basically. That's a fucking... Holy shit. It's a long haul, indeed. Yeah. That's yep. crazy. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. I tell you, the winter is not kind to my... Nasal passages yeah, it's, or throat. It's definitely not you, John. It's <laughs> no, certainly not, at not all. the script. Not at all. Um, so there were three pilots on board because that would actually mean that they could rotate out and each of them could get rest. We're talking like a sure. ten hour, ten plus hour yeah. flight. You want to have everybody fresh, right? So yeah. if there's three of them, they basically could each get like three hours rest, yeah. which is great. 
and yes, you want your pilot well rested, yeah. <laughs> or at least just to get a little mental break, not sure. have to track that sort of thing. So that's good. Um, the pilots were Captain Peter Burkill, or Burkill, Senior First Officer John Coward, and First Officer Connor, and I may not be saying this right, McGinnis. Captain Burkill was uh, 43 years old. He had 12,700 hours of flight experience, about two-thirds of which were on the 777. Senior First Officer Coward had 9,000 hours of flight experience. How is his last name spelled? B-U-R-K-I-L-L. So not Burke Hill? No, no, no. The the guy, it sounds oh. like it's... Oh, McGinnis? M-A... No, 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 no. It sounds like you're saying Coward. Yes, it's literally spelled C-O-W-A-R-D. Like oh Noel God. Coward. I, I, thought you, I thought it was going to be like C-O-W-H-E-R-D. Like Colin Cowherd? Yes, no. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you could easily... It's Coward. Okay. Yes. He was not a coward of, in this story. Not. But no. it's just, well, Noel Coward was a famous coward. <laughs> you know, last name Coward. <laughs> so. I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was Noel Coward. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you see what I have to put up with everybody? Don't know who Burl Ives is. Don't, don't know who Noel Coward is. I, I certainly do not. What did I miss? We'll move on. <laughs> History, apparently. Okay. <laughs> no, you you, you, you just say, concentrated know, your history certain, knowledge in certain I know things. certain parts. Yes. Apparently not <clears throat> Noel. Noel Coward. Noel Coward. Mm-hmm. Um... So, Coward had 9,000 hours of flight experience, 7,000 of which were on 777s, and First Officer McGinnis was 35 years old and had 5,000 hours of flight experience, 1,120 of which were on 777s. Um, All three pilots had been off for 44 hours in Beijing before being scheduled to take off for London, and each of them took about three hours of rest during the flight itself. Okay. So being a world traveler and all, John had his routine down like clockwork for even this long haul flight. He boarded onto what he called his usual seat, 8C. And after the flight took off at 10.09 a.m. local time, the Beijing time, he had a light meal. What? What? I don't What know. triggers I, these I things sometimes? No, I have no idea. I'm sorry. Yeah, even my watch will just do that randomly. Um, he had a, a light meal. This I found interesting, and I'd like to learn more, John. He had two large glasses of orange juice. That's a lot. Of that's a lot juice. of orange juice. That's that's a lot. That's a lot of orange juice. Maybe it was it for the vitamin C to like Maybe. ward off illness yeah, or something, something during like the play. I don't know. Because I mean, that's a lot of orange juice. Orange John. juice is kind of filling. It it is. It's it, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> so like two large glasses of it. That's that's a lot. Or you know what? Because John's from the UK. Do you know the size of, quote, large drinks in the UK oh, that's, are yeah. essentially it's like, like our, our kids' small. sizes? Yeah. Yes. It is like kids' So size. maybe that's, maybe by large, he means like eight ounces, <laughs> which to us, large you know is what? like that 16 makes sense. or better. That makes sense in this mm-hmm. part of the world. Large, mm-hmm. yeah. Large is probably even like six ounces. Uh, I, I follow a TikToker. Her name is Dawn Farmer, and she's uh, from England, and she has, she's fascinated with American stuff. But she went to, like, a local fast food restaurant. She's like, here, this is the largest size we can get. And it was small. It was like the size of her hand. <laughs> yes, it was, it was very small. Meanwhile, in America, like, a large <laughs> is like the size of your head. Yes. Like that episode of Parks and Rec where they just keep bringing out larger and larger buckets of uh, soda. Yeah. Um, so he drank his orange juice and then he had his like tried and true routine to fall asleep. He put on a film, watched a movie. Yeah. So uh, it worked. 
He has zero recollection of almost the whole flight, which sounds lovely. I'm super jealous. I'm not a good public sleeper. I hope that when I do fly to Scotland next year with my dad, that maybe I can. Maybe that's what I should do. Drink two glasses of orange juice. Put on a movie. Put on a movie. There you go. So after zonking out for hours... The flight attendants had to wake John up. Like, okay, come on. We're we're, uh, we're getting ready to land. Because they were now over the Netherlands. So they're approaching London. They're already kind of starting their descent. So John freshened up in the bathroom, went back to his seat, experienced all the usual, like, we're about to land stuff. Hmm. He was very much looking forward to seeing his partner and his dog, who were both meeting him at Heathrow. Hmm. Oh, man. You met? Oh, man. <laughs> so, them. Well, we're, we're going to yeah. talk a little bit about that. The first officer's voice came over the PA to the cabin crew. Um, you know, quote, 10 minutes to landing. And so the, the undercarriage was lowered shortly after, you know, the landing gear mm-hmm. and all that. Everything was going just fine. And being more on the interior of the plane, seat 8C, not one of the window flights. You mm-hmm. know, John wasn't looking or seeing out, out of the window. So he literally didn't have a clue of what was going to happen until it happened. Jeez. My God. So what John and the rest of the passengers aboard Jim, (laughs) the flight, didn't know was that at only two miles or 3.2 kilometers outside of the Heathrow runway at an altitude of 720 feet or 220 meters and what ended up being only 48 seconds before they touched down the flight crew was suddenly faced with engines that would not accelerate as needed. Oh, So the autopilot system had slowed the plane. Mm -hmm. They needed to speed back up a little bit. So at... um, And it needs you to take back control when you're about to land. Yes. And they tried to throttle nothing. Oh, man. Uh, At an altitude of only 150 feet, or 46 meters, Senior First Officer Coward, who was the the one engaged as the pilot at this point, disengaged the autopilot while Captain Burkle worked on mechanical settings to reduce the drag on the plane's wings, trying to help the aircraft glide instead of crash. Essentially, they knew at this point, this isn't working. We just have to to make sure, we just have to make sure we don't all die here. So, while trying to land on the runway. Well, just trying to land yeah. one versus crash, right? Yeah. So, Burkle called air traffic control with a mayday like seconds before they touched down. And by touchdown, I mean like crashed essentially. Um, so, I'm going to quote directly from John here. This is his wow. firsthand account of the actual crash. The crash, when it came, was one of the physic- most physically violent things I've ever experienced. Jeez. I remembered it as it causing a sharp exhalation, as if I was being winded as I'd been thrown forwards, followed by the realization that the aircraft wasn't traveling in a straight line and that the landing was much, much harder and noisier than I remembered from a similar flight a few weeks earlier. My memory isn't entirely complete. These realizations might be with the benefit of hindsight. When the aircraft came to a halt, probably not more than one or two seconds after hitting the ground. Oh, wow. I noticed that we'd stopped moving and that we weren't at the terminal and there was a lot of shouting. That's the end of John's quote there. So what John and his fellow passengers had just experienced was Jim's landing on about one, on grass, 
about a thousand feet or three hundred thirty meters short of the runway. Oh, they landed in the field. To the runway. They okay. didn't even get to the runway. No. And actually, there's a great picture. Um, and I'm sorry, this didn't print in color. It would have been a little clearer in color. You can oh, see yeah, where you can they see landed. The marks. They yeah. look how quickly it came to a stop. That's fucking scary. Because, you know, probably uh, anyone who's flown any number of times, you've experienced a rough landing or two, oh, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but they can't all be, e- be easy breezy. It'll happen occasionally. But a couple of things stood out to me on John's account. First off, the violent impact sure. of it. Um, imagine essentially getting the wind knocked out of you from landing on a plane. Mm-hmm. And that, my friends, is why it's indeed very important to wear your seatbelt in a plane Anytime you're seated. That's seat. why. Yes. And that, that means up in the air, mm-hmm. means on the ground, stay buckled in. If you're mm-hmm. not up, go stay buckled in. There's a lot of survivable disasters that can happen on a plane. Of course. And that seatbelt is one of the main things yeah. that's making it survivable. So make sure to do that. Second, the fact that it only took a couple of seconds for the plane to come to a complete stop. You can mm-hmm. see how it yeah. did not go far. No, it didn't. Because it, it, carves it up, carved out like ruts in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the grass. Anyone who's flown knows that after landing, there's like that several seconds of terrifying like... Yeah. And it gets really it's, loud. It's them trying to slow it down. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They're decelerating. Mm-hmm. Well, this was this, just like... This was just... It bam! All, it and all of a sudden slowed done. down. Which is, yeah, and that, stopped. It's yeah. Not, it's not the way you want to roll. Mm-hmm. Even just a regular landing is always a little dicey. You get those, like, well, pulled I mean, forward and... the. I mean, we know from doing this, and I knew this mm-hmm. before doing this podcast, the vast majority of crashes happen Take on off takeoff, and takeoffs and landings. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it feels nice to be out of the sky, but it's just like, you got one more hurdle to go. As soon gotta... as that noise starts dying down, then you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, on the ground, safely. So, as for John, now on the ground with the rest of his passengers and the crew, he was still obviously understandably shaken, as yeah. was everyone. Yeah. He said that, quote, the cabin crew were excellent, end quote. So... There's a reason that people who could potentially be in dangerous situations are trained again and again and again for this. So that's another good piece of advice. If you're ever in a plane where there's a disaster, listen to the flight crew and follow their directions to an absolute T. Do not think you know better than them. They've literally been trained for this. This is what they're experts in. Let do exactly what they say. Again, when it comes to flight attendants, firemen, cops, any public service EMT workers, mm-hmm. if they need your help, mm-hmm. they will let you know. They will tell you what to do. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Not the other. Do not offer. Mm-mm. Do not. Mm-mm. If they need you, they will tell you. Because doctors they're... do not advise doctors of what if you're in, you are not yourself <laughs> yes. a doctor. You know, like all this stuff is like let the professionals yeah. handle do it. Their job. Yeah. Yes, especially in such emergent situations. Yeah. You are not you are not the one getting paid to handle this or think about this. I they did are. include cops in there and I'm like that, that's a little but, but, but you know, for you the did, most part. You said you said they'll let you know if they need your help, which sure. is correct. Yeah. Any any emergency professional would do that. You're yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, so. we've done stories where firemen have been like we can't handle this. Mm-hmm. We just need to pull mm-hmm. we just need whatever fresh body to yep. aim a hose this way. So, fine. So, so be it. They'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's something my grandpa always told me, you know, because he was in fire rescue. 
he said, um, if you're ever in an emergency situation and someone needs to call 911, he said, don't say someone call 911. You point at somebody and say, you, you call 911. Like, of course. don't leave any ambiguity. It's a direct, it's an order, yeah. basically, you know, because in a, an emergent situation, somebody needs to be then, in charge. Then six people will be looking at each other like, who should call? You know, exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. No, you. I'm looking at you. You do it. So, yeah. So, uh, the, the hope is, of course, with all this training, that if you ever do encounter an emergency in your vocation, you don't even have to think. You just react the proper way because it's been drilled into you. That's why, like, I don't know about... Other people, I'm pretty sure this happens in a lot of places, but like annually, I have to watch the run, hide, fight, active shooter video. Oh, yeah. You know, we do once which a year I think too. is pretty common because the idea is it may be like, okay, I know, I know, run, hide, fight, run, hide, fight. But the idea is if to you get, get it, it in drilled into you, if you're actually in that yeah. situation, it sh- it's like the stop, drop, and roll, right? That it stays in there so that you can yeah. recall it when necessary. Like the nice thing about where I work, the emergency exit is like, maybe a hundred feet away from mm-hmm. me. So, and there's a nice path where I could be like, if something like that did happen, mm-hmm. I could get a lot of people out. That's and, good. Mm-hmm. you know, know your exits. Exactly. It's right behind me. Mm-hmm. So, so the, um, the, the flight crew, it was like, okay, we're, we're disembarking. And according to John, they insisted like, we're going to do this quietly, calmly and quickly. Like there was, there's not going to be a panic. Right, you're going to do this in an orderly fashion. Because with the physical plane, there could be all sorts of things going on with the plane that you don't yes. know yet. There could be an electrical thing about to happen, mm-hmm. and you need to get everybody off. Fire is an extremely especially real in, danger, especially in an enclosed space. Yes, where so, yes. they don't know what's destabilized. Yep. There could be a leak. Their where... mind is, we'll figure that shit out after. Oh yeah, let's get everybody off That's first. That's the first thing. Yeah. Fuck the plane. We are getting... Yeah, the, fuck the, Jim. The planes, yeah. We're getting yeah, off... Yeah. We're getting off Jim right now. Jim is... Jim is legitimately useless to us at Yes, this we don't give a shit about Jim. So we're, we're getting, we're getting, getting out off of here. him. Mm-hmm. So John said he found out later that some of the passengers stopped to get their belongings, no. their carry-on no. items, and... Okay, so just another friendly reminder. If you are in an emergency situation like this, a fire, whatever, where you need to get out... It doesn't matter how easy it seems to grab your stuff. Like, oh, it's just right there. Yeah, no. Too. You may need your hands free. You could slow down just enough that you're backing up somebody behind you and they end up in danger. Like, no. Or inspiring somebody else to like, oh, I can get my yes, shit. Yes. And it's more dangerous for them. Yeah. Like, no. So just don't. And if you are just a person. Don't. Yeah. That's, God, I don't want to be in this situation. This I know. Just horrible. leave your shit. Yeah. Leave your shit. It doesn't matter. It's stuff, it literally does it not matter. Literally does not matter. So just 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 drop it and leave. You you just leave with you and the clothes on your back. That's literally what the the deal is. Um, so fortunately, Jim knew better. He is like I I'm not getting my stuff. He was an Air Force kid, and so he knew like this. Uh, he had been well trained. He's yeah. like, nope, this is an off. emergent situation. I am not grabbing a thing. Apparently, did, did, did you mean John? Did John. I say Jim? I yeah, did it did. again. Yeah. I say, it says John here. I didn't okay. do it. Sorry, John. <laughs> I'm getting you confused with the plane. <laughs> John himself knew that, yes. So um, apparently one of the other passengers, this is, we'll chalk it up to like being stunned. Let's say oh, that. Sure. This is the generous interpretation. Of course, yeah. I think, I think, 
I think a generous interpretation works here. Yes. Um, we, so none of us know how we'd act in this situation. That's true. So apparently one person... So they they just they slid down slides. That, oh, right? of course. They had yep, the slides to get yeah. out of the... So Yeah, they definitely were not bringing out the stairs. No. <laughs> no, they had to get down and the slides were the way to do it. Yeah. So one person went down the slide, climbed back up the slide mm-hmm. to get their stuff no. and then slid back down. No. So, no. Yeah, Please do don't that. do that. That was really, really fucking stupid. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, interestingly... I would just be so fucking happy to be on the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm like... There's no way I'm getting in a plane ever again. Mm-mm. Much less like get like somebody bring me my shit. Like if you can find it. Right. Unless <laughs> like, I'm not unless, getting in that thing again. Unless like they had something incriminating, who knows? <laughs> I, they, that could be. You never know. It was a big flight, we know that. A lot or, of people or on board. like a lot of money or something like that. I don't know. Even so, money burns. Oh yeah. Not a, but not if it's in a vault. <laughs> is that a quote from something? That is actually a quote from a movie called um not, yes, Land of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Very forthright zombie film. Yes, sounds like <laughs> it. Um, so interestingly, apparently it was the flight attendants who gave all the instructions to the passengers. So Captain Burkle thought he was giving instructions over the PA. Turns oh. out he had accidentally just called air traffic control. So he said, please disembark in an orderly fashion or whatever. He was saying it the, to air traffic control. The, the staff had it under control. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And it's, again, he was shaken up too, I'm sure. So he was still doing what he thought was right. He just, because they're only switched to the wrong line. They're only realizing there's a problem like seconds before they have to make a decision. It was like, it's not like barely had any time. It's not like it's like, okay, this has happened in the air. It's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we can figure out how to mitigate this. There was was, no no. runway to this disaster in every way possible. There was, we don't have any thrust. How how are we going (laughs) to land the plane? Yep. And that decision had to be made in five seconds. seconds. This was this was fast. This all happened very, very fast. On top so. of the fact it's a giant fucking plane. It's a yes, huge plane. It, it is it is a jumbo jet. So it is coming out of the sky at a at a speed that we just can't I mean, yes, we've been on big planes, but you can't fully comprehend it. Like you, what the yeah. It's yeah. uh what uh the no, whatever. I was gonna get into Laws of whatever Stop. physics and yeah. aerodynamics. I gotcha. <laughs> That's fine. I'm sorry. I tried to. I, I'm sorry. I tried to pin that in there, John. It's I okay. We're going to get into thermodynamics in a little oh, bit. Oh, there so. we go. <laughs> so everyone disembarked on the slides, right? Um, when he land, when John landed on the grass off the runway, he remembers very distinctly smelling jet fuel. Sure. Because it's such that's, a that's, strong uh, smell, uh, right? And again, that's why you want to get people off. Yes. You don't yes. know. It could, it could expose. Any it fucking could second. catch on fire. Yep. Yeah. And he said that that's the part of the story that sticks in his memory the most, is that smell. And scents do cause sure. a strong memory. I've know. never smelled it like that in that situation, thank God. Mm. Um, but... I do remember, like, being at a, a certain job site. Like, I know what acetic acid smells like if you, oh, if you yeah. get a whiff of it. Is it uh, pretty? It literally, like, almost, like, burns, like, your the nostrils, nostril yeah, hairs. The lungs. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty bad. Yeah. But uh, I, I'll i take that over this. Oh, yeah. Oh, any, yeah. Fucking any time. Huh. Terrifying. So after sliding into the grass, John was told, along with everybody else, you know, Get, get away. away. <laughs> and he did not need to be told twice. Uh, Off he went. Uh, so everybody was, like, gathering. They they all walked about 100 feet away from Jim. Right? <laughs> the plane. Jim. I'll just keep going. 
Well, but they needed to keep true. They everybody... That's true. You need a head count. <clears throat> you need a head count. You need yep. to check in, make sure everybody's okay. I would still EMTs be at 100 feet and be like, we need 150 feet. Can we keep going? <laughs> like, like, but you know what? Also, they're near an active runway. They've got to be careful, too, where everybody's no going. Oh, shit. That's true as well. So, that's, so yeah. Now, air traffic control knows what's going on. Everybody. So, they're, they're starting to get still, a hold on it. But still, yeah. I'm sure the um, flight crew knew not to just let people wander yeah. off or don't something. Just, yeah, just don't, mm. don't wander down the runway, please. Hey, please don't. So eventually, as the shock of the whole event began, you know, like he started settling in a little bit, John realized that by very wisely leaving all his belongings on the plane, he didn't have any of them in his possession, which meant he couldn't get a hold of his partner. And he was very worried about her because he's like, she might see the incident on the news and like think I'm dead or something. This could be this could be pretty scary for her. And as it turns out, his partner had been in the terminal. And she did That's indeed. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> she did indeed see like the fucking there was a plane TV. crash. No, she didn't see the plane oh, crash. No, really? no, no. Well, cuz there's you can't that's see true. every part of the runway yeah, that's from true. That's she true. she was in a terminal where there was a or the arrivals area had TVs. Oh my god. And well, course, the story yeah. about what was happening in at the airport was coming on the TV. Imagine like imagine that. Like you're like, "Oh, here I am to to see my my partner it's like, come it's like in." A, it's like, "Oh, a plane from... a plane just crashed apparently." Like, "Well, that that sucks." Wait, it was wait here. A, wait a second. It like, was here. It was... Wait, which plane was it? And you find out that it's your partner's plane. Oh, I would... I Let's hope, let's I know, hope nobody like, else ever in the history of feelings would, has that feeling. That would be lovely. That would be very lovely. Yes. So, meanwhile, back on the field, John watched, like, dozens and dozens of firefighters, ambulances, emergency personnel. Oh, it's, uh, it's fucking all hands on oh, deck. Oh, yeah, because they don't happening. know what they're walking nope, into. Not at all. So, fortunately, John had not been injured at all. Even despite the jarring landing, he just sat down on the grass, waited for his instructions. It's John's recollection that the one serious injury that did occur actually happened after the crash. Specifically that a woman landed roughly at the bottom of the slide and broke her leg. And his recollection is very close to being accurate. It was a man, but otherwise his, his recollection is spot on. That was the only serious injury was that somebody landed badly. A man landed badly at the bottom of the What's what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. We'll still take a, yeah, we'll take a broken leg over. Exactly. And while that is a serious injury, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were seen to very quickly and we're fine. So another 34 passengers sustained minor injuries, mostly neck and back. Issue because you get wrenched. Oh, yeah. Whiplash. Yep. Of the 13 flight attendants working in the cabin, 12 of them had injuries, like to their necks and backs or whatever. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you're not supposed to land a projectile going that fast, like in two seconds. Like, it's just, it's not supposed to work that it's way. Like, it's it's like, not supposed to stop in two seconds, Even getting I mean. into a minor car accident can oh, wrench your neck or yeah. whatever. So think about that. Yeah, um, no none of the pilots were injured at all, minor or otherwise. Okay. So within about 20 minutes of the crash, several terminal buses arrived on the scene to load up the passengers, yep. take them Gotta to the get terminal. Them out of here. Mm-hmm. So they were met by British Airways managers at the terminal, <coughs> excuse me, who took down... <coughs> Everybody's information, like got their names, addresses, phone Cross numbers. Cross-reference yep. who was on the flight yep. log. Okay. Yeah. So like, okay, you're, you're here. We'll, we'll be in touch. We will be in touch. 
Um, in John's words, British Airways, quote, bent over backwards to try to make sure that we as their passengers were taken care of. And I hope so. Good. That's good. Finally, John was reunited with his partner and his dog. Now, his partner is, in John's words, quote, a strong vocal Scottish woman <laughs> who doesn't particularly like not knowing what's happening. Kind of reminds me of somebody. <laughs> Except you're not Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> My grandmother's maiden name is Ferguson. Huh? Well, there you go. I do have Scott, it's Scottish in the, It's in there somewhere. There, yes. It's probably in, yeah, with all white people. There's probably Pretty like, much. like We're a, all European. Like a 0.5% Scottish in there somewhere mm-hmm. with all of us. So, uh, I do not blame her for... I mean, in this Wanting instance, to know what was going this instance on. I can I wouldn't blame you for being like, oh, she's freaking out. Like, yes, of course, no shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so is the dog too, probably. Of course, once she had seen the news of the accident, like her anxiety just went through the roof. She had managed to get someone from British Airways to find her a private space outside of the main arrival space. They were able to have like a little reunion in a private area. Oh, so, okay. nice. especially when you're like crying and distraught, you don't want to be in the middle of like a one of the world's busiest airports when that's going on again in this circumstance people would understand oh of course of course of course <laughs> yeah. but it's nice that they got that of privacy that's yeah. that privacy so that's good obviously she had been bawling because of the extreme stress of this situation yeah and it, it john said that it struck him that overall she suffered way more in this situation than he did right because he knew what was going he on he knew what was going on exactly <laughs> like, like pretty mm-hmm. much right away he knew he was okay yeah he knew everyone else was okay. Yeah. He knew that nothing had exploded or, yeah. you know, so he he knew what was going on. But, yeah, exactly. She didn't. For all she knew, he had died on impact or something horrible. So, thankfully, that it is not at all what happened to anyone, yes. which is wonderful. Oh, my God. So, in the immediate aftermath of the crash, all flights were temporarily halted in of and out course. of Heathrow. They're like, nobody's getting in or out of here. Planes were diverted, the whole thing. Obviously, they needed to get a handle of what was going on, make sure that no planes were going to land in a place that would endanger the plane that had already crashed or or whatever. Um, When they did start flights up again, of course, plenty of delays, diversions, cancellations. It took a couple of days for things to smooth out because these airports are run on such tight schedules. And and highly sensitive schedules, Mm -hmm. too. Like, I mean... Heathrow is seeing who knows. I mean, that's got to be a top 10 in the world, I, I would think. sure think. Yeah. It's a major, major airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, I watched part of it. There's a documentary, like a little one hour documentary, like The Secret Life of Airports at, um, not O'Hare, what's the Atlanta one? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Whatever the, name, the Atlanta I've, airport is. I've flown through there many like a time. Like one of the busiest airports yeah. in the world. So. Very busy. And they were talking about how, like, everything is scheduled within an inch of its life. So one thing throws absolutely oh, of everything off. So obviously that's what happened here. So, of course, this was investigated. You don't scare the shit out of 136 passengers and 16 crew members without plenty of questions being asked. So Jim was removed from the airfield on January 20th. So he sat there. They, the plane sat there for a few days. They were hauled. It was hauled off to a British Airways maintenance hangar. Yeah, they, they probably needed to make sure it was safe to move. Right, like stable and not going to explode or something. Mm. Yeah. And there was no saving Jim. Yeah. He was the casualty. He was definitely damaged beyond what they called economic repair. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, the, the all the stabilizing and all that stuff, I'm sure was just 
gone. That's the thing. By the time, (laughs) the whole economic repair thing, (laughs) because it was largely intact. But the thing is that, like, it's not worth it to try and salvage this. And that's why you put that stabilizing system in there in in case of an incident like this. Mm -hmm. It did its job, but it's -hmm. it's going to be cheaper just to build a new plane. Exactly. So just write it off, right? So we'll build a new plane. Interestingly, this was the first Boeing seven 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 hull loss ever. Wow. As in in history. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, it came in a non-fatal uh, right? incident. So after it came, it, it came in an accident, not a, well, a crash landing that yeah. was an accident. Not yeah. A, mm-hmm. Yeah. After Damn. a two-year investigation, the Department for Transport Air Accidents Investigation Branch realized or released their 243-page report on the crash in January of 2010. They found that the immediate cause of the crash was a loss of airspeed, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they couldn't they couldn't throttle. Couldn't make it to the literally couldn't make it to the runway. Right. Due to a restriction of fuel flowing both in the right and left engines. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there wasn't enough fuel getting to the engines in order to accelerate as needed. Um they found that the definitive cause of the flow issues in the right engine was due to a problem with the fuel oil heat exchanger or FOHE and that it was also likely the cause of the left engine's issues although they couldn't prove that definitively. In working backwards they came up with a theory of what restricted the flow of fuel to these engines. So this last flight of this aircraft Jim, <laughs> took place in January, which, of course, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's one of the coldest months, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, in aircraft design, they very much take into account that these planes are flying in sometimes very cold weather at extreme altitudes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So extreme heat, extreme cold, all normal conditions, right? So these planes are meant to still operate under those conditions. Um One of those factors taken into account is the fuel temperature. Hmm. So even jet fuel is capable of freezing. Sure. Yeah. Um, Or water that is a natural part of the jet fuel. So the temperature... It's it's very cold up in the atmosphere. Oh, oh, we're going to talk about how cold. (laughs) So the temperature of that varies depending on the type and blend of the fuel. But they have sensors to monitor the fuel to, to keep its temperature and make sure that it's not getting dangerously cold, essentially. Um, or that, so the pilots at least are aware if there's an, a danger or an issue. So for this next part, I'm going to be talking about temperatures, but it's important to note, I am not going to be talking about atmospheric temperature, which is what we get in like our forecasts, right? Oh, it's going to be 40 and sunny or whatever. That's that's atmospheric temperature, or ambient air temperature. I'm going to be talking about total air temperature, which actually, I couldn't get into the thermodynamics of this, but basically, total air temperature is taken using a probe on an aircraft, but because of how it's measured, it actually ends up being higher than the ambient temperature, okay? So all of the temperatures I'm going to be saying are actually higher than what we would call, we would measure them as an atmospheric temperature, so... So in sure, <laughs> just just like I would have guessed. So what I'm saying is, in other words, things were way colder than it sounded. Sure. So when Jim was taking off from Beijing, it was a cold morning. It's January in China, right? 
Jim's sensors measured the total air temperature at around negative 2 Celsius, which is about 21 degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty cool. As it climbed to just shy of 35,000 feet, it was obviously much colder, negative 25 degrees Celsius or negative 13 Fahrenheit. They were flying over Mongolia, Siberia, Scandinavia. Like, these are cold places in January in the Northern Hemisphere. So, uh, a couple of hours into the flight, the temps were down to negative 32 Celsius or negative 25 Fahrenheit. And, of course, low temps, no matter how they're measured, also affect the jet fuel temperature. So, with a few hours left in the flight, the fuel hit its lowest temperature, of negative 34 degrees Celsius or negative 29 degrees Fahrenheit. The total air temperature was negative 45 Celsius or almost negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. That's how cold it was up there. And this all sounds very dramatic, but it's actually not considered that unusual. And all of the aircraft and its equipment totally certified to handle these metrics. Sure. So nothing about this. Otherwise it wouldn't be up there. Exactly. Yeah. So how this all did affect the fuel involves some intricacies about the fuel feed system. In other words, how the fuel gets to the plane engines. So we're talking in this case about the fuel scavenge system. And I apologize because I could not find an ELI-5. I had to come up with this one myself. Hopefully it's accurate. So basically, the 777 stores so much fuel, it essentially, it needs three tanks to do it. There's a large central tank, and then two two tanks, one on each um, wing, right? Feeding the central tank, probably. No, other way around. Oh, oh mm-hmm. okay. Oh, sure. So, that's where the engines are. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You got it. So, so the idea is there's a fuel pump. Oh, sorry. There's two fuel pumps, one for each, le- you know, left and the right engines that pulls the fuel from the central tank into the tanks on the left and right wings, to fuel the engines because that's where the engines are. Well, eventually, you know, the fuel gets down to a a low point and there's like a little indicator and the pilots know about it when that happens where the fuel pump can no longer pump out any fuel. Mm -hmm. But it's not because there's not any fuel left. There's actually like over a ton of fuel still in the tank. It's just that it's like, you know, it's too low and the pump is, can't can't suck it in, you know. I completely understand what that's like. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, but the thing is, there's still like a ton of fuel left, Mm -hmm. a literal ton of fuel. So in order to get that bit at the bottom, you know, like the, when you suck up in a straw and it, you know, sort of a thing. That's called the fuel scavenge system or scavenger system. So it's like meant to get that little bits out. So, um, makes sense though. Yeah. So the conclusion working with water tanks, like I had Uh before, we've we've run into similar problems Mm -hmm. when you're trying to move product. I'm not sure I understand. Tank to tank. (laughs) That was your phone. Look at look at how much she heard. It's like a paragraph of stuff. Yeah, I bet you wouldn't understand. Yeah, that's a lot of... You don't understand anything, do you, Siri? (laughs) Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Yeah, that's... that's, You suck. (laughs) She didn't even listen to me. Well, that's because she got confused the last time. Yeah, she... (laughs) Let's move on with a... Yes. With a first-hand account of a... uh... Well, no, the, the... This is the... 
No, I understand. Yeah, like this the, is the the um like, uh, after or the investigation. So the concluding theory by the investigation was that ice formed within the fuel feed and or the scavenger system. Sure. Now this is known natural. It happens. And again, Jim's fuel did not hit temps considered outside of its safe and allowable range. But the idea, the, the, the hypothesis essentially that they came up with was that this ice began clogging the pumps. Sure. Which even, not like blocked it or stopped no. it, it just reduced. Restricting. Yeah, restricted, exactly. Um, so while the plane was just cruising along at altitude, really didn't cause any problems because the fuel demand was relatively low. It wasn't putting a lot of taxation on those pumps, you know. So even though it was restricted, there was still plenty of fuel coming through for that task. Mm -hmm. it, like, that that was not causing a problem. It wasn't stalling the engines, nothing. Everything was fine. But when the plane was near landing where that the co-pilot had to give that last throttle, that burst of fuel needed couldn't make it at exactly it couldn't yeah. make it at that level it was a demand that couldn't be met essentially so without the fuel needed the flight crew was left to crash land and that's what they managed to do with relatively few physical consequences to uh, those on I mean, board with, with the best possible outcome that you could have essentially Every, everybody survived yes yes exactly yeah somebody had a broken leg somebody had whiplash yeah. mm -hmm. yeah but overall and probably a lot of people had trauma, but yeah. <laughs> emotional trauma, but yeah. Now I keep qualifying this all with theory or a hypothesis because investigators tried again and again and again to replicate this and they couldn't in tests. So they're like, you know, we, we can't get this to do anything that actually happened by like trying to replicate the conditions. So we're just gonna have to say that this is the most likely thing to have hap that happened, you know. But what they did find in all these tests was that the FHOE was certainly susceptible to getting clogged up mm -hmm. with ice under the conditions that Jim was flying. And and that happened even under conditions that the FHOE was certified for. Again, they the pilots did nothing outside of what they were full the parameters of what was fully considered safe and allowable. Yeah. So the investigators, of course, made multiple safety recommendations, mostly to the design of the 777, what, what the certified parameters did and didn't allow, um, because, like I said, nothing happened outside of those parameters. The pilots were not at fault. This, was an, uh, this wasn't like some overarching mechanical issue. Everything w that happened would have seemed fine for a perfectly safe landing and normal landing, except that's not what happened. So so obviously the parameters need to change, mm -hmm. not the function, right? So as for the flight crew, Captain Burkill and Senior First Officer Coward were grounded for a month after the crash. Um, fortunately, they were assessed for PTSD, so sure. they, they were watched out for. Captain Burkle had you know, some wobble afterwards, understandably. He flew again in summer of 2008. Then he decided to voluntarily split from British Airways the next year. He started a blog and wrote a book called 30 Seconds to Impact, yeah. where he basically scorch-earthed British Airways oh. and their handling of the situation. Okay. But apparently he didn't totally scorch-earth it because in November of 2010, he went back to British Airways. 
and okay, and ended was, up employed yeah. with them. He said that they had come to a quote mutual happy conclusion. End quote. Uh-huh. So honestly, it's just like he probably felt pretty fucked up after that, and naturally, this sort of back and forth was going to guess a lot of emotions were coming to a head exactly. John met both Burkle and Coward after the crash, and he said that Bur- Captain Burkle was, quote, nothing but a model of professionalism. Nice. Unquote, so. Very nice. As for John, he got his bags back from British Airways four days after the crash. He had been due to go back to Beijing at the end of January, but fortunately, his boss decided that he deserved an extra week of paid leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't happen. Some, I was just going to say <laughs> something that would not happen in the United States. Mm-mm. Like what would what would have happened in the United States? Like, oh, you're fine. You just had the crash. We've got you on the next flight out. Exactly. Oh, well, you're not going to rest <laughs> yeah. much dur- during your vacation, yeah. are you? You might uh, even be working. Uh, yeah. We're just going to move on like nothing happened. Yeah. Denial. That's what we Our primary export in America yeah. is denial. Yeah. So British Airways used John's information to keep in touch with him and the rest of the passengers. They offered the passengers psychological counseling, which is very good. Um, They did offer them some compensation and offered them perks like upgrades on BA flights. Um, They all immediately got entry into the frequent flyer program at like the gold level or whatever, top tier level. Now, while that may seem like an ironic form of compensation, because who's going to want to fly again? I mean, some people will. Well, will. one of those people was John. Of course, yeah. Who got back on the proverbial horse three weeks after the crash. He went back to work. He flew to Hong Kong via a British Airways 747-400. So you know what? Good on you, John, for just being like, shit happens, and it it just happens. So John was invited by other passengers to join in legal action against Boeing in U.S. courts. Okay. But in his words, quote, I didn't join because in simplest terms, I wasn't badly impacted by the accident and I don't consider myself to be especially litigious, end quote. But you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an individual decision mm-hmm. and that is A-OK. Whatever you decide is best for you. A total of 10 passengers brought suit against Boeing in Cook County, Illinois, Saying Which the, is uh, Chicago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saying the 777's design was, quote, defective and unreasonably dangerous, end quote. And the case settled out of court in 2012. And mm. that, my friends, was the Christmas miracle sode of British <sighs> Airways Flight 38. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John. That's uh, amazing. Yes, thank you uh, for living, of course. <laughs> We're, we are so happy coming up on the 15th anniversary of this that you are still with us. Yeah, I've never had a first-hand account of somebody's plane crash. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Isn't it wild? I mean, that's, it's, and to be willing to share that with us and with everybody, that's that's really mm-hmm. nice, John. Thank yeah. you very much, because that must have been so. <laughs> and your poor partner, that must have been so right. terrifying. Yeah, like well, like like he admitted it was mm-hmm. more terrifying for her than it was for him. Yeah, uh-huh. he's like, well, ten I'm fine. seconds I know after, I'm fine. <laughs> like once he got on the ground, which yeah. was probably within like a minute, mm-hmm. it sounded like. Mm-hmm. You know, it was probably like okay, like this is mm-hmm. not. Obviously not the landing I was looking for. (laughs) I'm alive. Not my expected afternoon, but... I'm alive. I'm back home. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. You know. Like, I am in London. Yeah. Safely on the ground now. It kind of doesn't matter if I have my bags, because I can just go back to my house, Mm -hmm. where I have, like, Mm -hmm. all my shit. You know? So, it's... 
Yeah. And, you know, it's... good on him for just, like, being like, well, I, I'm going back to work. I will get back on a plane. Because, you know what? Probably it's the first flight that's the worst. The oh, first flight Oh, of course back. it is. Yeah, and then you can kind of, maybe, I don't know. I've not been through something like that. But well, he seems to be, can... to me, like a very stringent, has a rhythm. So probably once you get back yeah, on that next flight. Yeah, he very routinized, right? Like, like, oh, this is, system. this is mm-hmm. how it goes. And then probably mm-hmm. just right back into it. Frankly, John seems like a very reasonable and yeah. straightforward sort of person, which yeah. is excellent because i'm sure that helped him a lot but i hope i never have a story like likewise (laughs) oh my goodness i really hope you know what the best thing about it is so first of all well the best thing is nobody died um or even got horribly injured like a broken leg is not the worst thing but it's not fun but it's highly out of something like this if that's the worst thing that happens recoverable don't, don't take that anytime exactly um but then uh I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, that nobody saw, basically nobody saw it coming. No. It was just like a rough landing, essentially, before, by the time they realized what was going on, it was done. You know? Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah, that's true. So that's, at least there wasn't like some, like those stories you hear about, like, even people who, who do survive on like, you know having like these horrible drops or just these terrifying moments or horrible turbulence or something. In fact, horrible turbulence would probably be more psychologically damaging than like five seconds of what just happened. Yeah, because it happens all of a sudden. You get blindsided, you know. And then it's over. Yeah. Now afterwards it might be tough to deal with for sure, Sure. but. And then nobody had to have survivor's guilt because nobody died, you know, so it wasn't like some people died, some people lived. This is the best possible outcome yes mm-hmm. from a plane crash like it really is it is it's a it's a wild story and thank you john for for sharing that's the perfect christmas miracle yes it opinion. was very much so i mean i don't really have anything to say i know that. i, mean, I know this I'm, is I'm like sitting, ah <laughs> sitting here thinking like i mean the scariest thing i've ever been through like Obviously, a plane is not a natural disaster. We, right. It's, uh-huh. it's man-made. Yeah. We, we built... Planes don't just exist. That's right. <laughs> they weren't born <laughs> no, or, or, or gleaned yeah, from the they're, earth. They're not in nature. Mm-mm. It's like the whole... Uh, it's like the whole gay marriage debate that has somehow opened <gasps> up again. It's like... It's like you people realize that marriage is just a concept, right? Literally. Like it's... Like it doesn't exist in nature. Like It's not a thing. Like the whole thing is... <laughs> the whole thing is made up. And monogamy so, is no more natural than non-monogamy, uh, yeah, just I mean, for the record. Nature does all sorts nature, of... nature, yes. Yeah. Uh, gay beings are are natural. Yes, uh-huh, in multiple <laughs> yes. animals aside from human animals. <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. You know, so... Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, but it's... Like the, but the but the scariest I don't know how I get onto that. That's oh, okay. <laughs> the scariest thing I've ever been through uh-huh. is like a tornado. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was pretty scary, mm-hmm. but it's kind of one of those things like it wasn't really scary in the moment. Yes. After it was over, yes. it was kind of like wow, like holy shit! It was like the, it could have been so much worse. Well, because I think that in uh, certainly in the emergent situations I've been in, my experience has been like, and I'm I'm sure this varies by person, but like. There's a focus. Of course, yeah. To, and a lot of people with ADHD well, it's, experience it's, this, apparently. It's, it's fight or flight. Yeah, well, there's a lot of different responses. Sure. But, um, but that idea of just, like, 
chaos can really focus some people. That's what mm-hmm. it does for me. Mm-hmm. Is like when there's it, it's like all the noise just goes away because there's something so immediate right in front of your face to fully focus on. Yeah. And that can bring like a lot of a strange calm with it. Sure. But then once it's done, once it's oh over. my god. Yeah. That's, that's the, what's that's the hard, terrifying. Well, that's, that's the hard part. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you survive it, mm-hmm. is the the aftermath. The aftermath is often the hardest part. That's true. That's so. very true. Wow, John, we're glad that you are still with us. Please don't ever yes. do that again. <laughs> I know you had no control of yeah. it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> please, please what are we supposed to say? Please yeah. don't ever let something not be your fault again. <laughs> Which is an impossible task. But uh, just try doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll try doing it. <laughs> yes. Mm. But, uh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Not... Again, not a story no. I ever want to tell anybody. But happy holidays to all. If you're not a holidays person, that's fine. Happy solstice, if you're a winter solstice celebrator. Mm-hmm. Happy December, and, uh, the month it is. Whatever. Uh, and our anti-capitalist uh, gift exchange, some gifts have gone out and been yeah. received. And yeah. thank you cards. And we are, we are still say in the process. Thank you to my uh, gift exchange person for sending me a thank you card. I don't know if you want me to tell who it is. But... No, no. Gabby didn't send you a thank you card. You guys got each other. Oh. Oh, that's right, because she said something's on its way. Yes, uh-huh. So right. it was a thank you plus, like... Something's coming. Yeah, that's yeah, right. so it's funny. There was a couple of, of exchangees who got each other in the exchange. Oh, randomly. okay. Oh, okay. Uh-huh, so you and Gabby were too. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah, I did read, and I was... Okay, yeah. So that make, helps it make a little more sense, huh? Yes. Sorry about that, Gabby. <laughs> you did specify in the car that something mm-hmm. was on its way. Mm-hmm. From Philly. <laughs> yes. Very nice. So that was our annual mm-hmm. Christmas miracle sode, mm-hmm. British Airways Flight 38. Not that this flight happens annually, meaning the, <laughs> no. meaning the miracle sode no, version of our podcast. <laughs> yes, this does the not happen. This type of crash does not happen every year. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yes, hopefully. And hopefully thank you, again. John, for sharing your story. That was, that was amazing. Talk about gripping. Like when you're, uh-huh. when it's coming from a first person perspective. Yes. Like my heart rate is just like, okay. I know. And just how calmly John was able to recount it. I'm, and eloquently, I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I would have been able to do, but thank you, John. We know we, we would not be as calm or elegant. Probably. Probably not. Or eloquent. eloquent. Thank you. <laughs> elegant. And, and elegant. <laughs> all elegant. Three, all three elegant. of those things. Yes. <laughs> have an elegant Christmas, everybody. Yes, very much so. A classy Christmas. So that was our Christmas miracle sode, British Airways Flight 38. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We will see you next week. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate it and to all a good night. <laughs>